Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to episode number 42 of the Basketball Card Podcast. This is one that I have been looking forward to all week. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. I know I promise them every week, and it's been like four. But I did an interview with Jeremy Lee. He's doing an awesome show um, called Sports Cards Live on YouTube. And I did that a couple of weeks ago, so I kind of felt like that filled in for this one. Um, today's show is going to be awesome, though. Um, it's it's the first time that I've had a, uh, a guest on the show, um, other than when I had my son on <laughs> a little while ago. But this guest I think you're going to really like, um, and I'm going to introduce him here in a second. But first I want to take you through a couple of uh, business items before that. The first thing that I want to just say is, um, if you haven't been watching, our hobby is on fire. Uh, the amount of news that we've seen through major media outlets and um, just the, the way that the prices are trending and the interest of the hobby, it's, it's just unbelievable. And it's a time that, I, you know, I don't think many of us ever thought would necessarily come. So I uh, hope, uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, welcome. If you're interested in, in the podcast, if you like it. Obviously, would uh, invite you to uh, like it, uh, rate it, leave me, leave me feedback and or rating, and let me know kind of how you like it and, and what you think of it. Um, but but as far as the listenership, I'll tell you the numbers have been amazing. You guys have been awesome, and every time I do uh, every time I do a podcast, I get feedback afterwards, specific messages, just saying thank you, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, one thing that has been out there in the media is there was uh, a very prominent auction from earlier this week. The most expensive modern-day basketball card ever sold earlier this week. It was a LeBron James gold parallel of the exquisite rookie and a BGS 9.5 slab uh, sold with golden auctions for $1.845 million. Um, The sale... Uh, hasn't actually um, hasn't been confirmed by the buyer publicly, as far as I know. But I talked to him, and he had, he acknowledged it. So, um, how's that? That's his confirmation. <laughs> um, he's a well-known member of the Instagram community, and you will hear him talk more about that later. But uh, pretty incredible to see a card sell for you know, seven figures. Amazing. Uh, also, the countdown is still going on. The twenty-seven guy countdown. Um, there are t- twenty-seven guy top one hundred countdown. We're down to the top 25, and um, I, I love it because every day I post my my order, my next card, one new card, and then I post it against the winner of the previous poll. Um, that uh, that poll function has been really interesting because what we're finding is that a lot of times people totally disagree with what I think about what cards what card is best. So. Uh, if you are interested in that, definitely go. Definitely go vote. The average poll right now is getting about eight, uh, about 180 to 200 uh, votes every day, so that's really cool. We've got the last 25 to go, and some of my best cards are still to come. So, um, you know, you guys know that I like my cards, and you know that um, I like to tell you why they're interesting to me. So go check that out. Uh, the last thing that I'll mention is part of the part of the business is um, some of you guys know that I have been working my way through a a mid 80s to late 80s basketball card collection that included four Jordan rookies, a Jordan XRC, 
I got a bunch of that stuff graded and there's still more to be graded, but um, I'm going to be talking. Some of you have asked if I, if I would do, if I would do some uh, specific episode on how that all came about. I'd love to talk about that. It's a good friend of mine who's literally just had these cards since he pulled them out of packs or in the case of the, this Jordan star out of the bag. Um, and he's had them just sitting in a, a safe for the last 20 something years. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk more about that and I will talk more about it, um, you know, next, uh, probably on the next episode or, or sometime soon. But now what I want to do is introduce to you, uh, our guest today, uh, and somebody who is somebody who's a good personal friend of mine, somebody who was my boss for over six years, but more than that, um, has been a mentor to me. He's somebody who I look up to a lot. I will always look up to a lot. Um, his name is Jeff. Jeff uh, bought his first card shop in 1995 at the ripe old age of 26. Um, he's got an interesting story about that that, that, I, that I'll ask him about here in a, in a sec. But um, he went from owning one store to four and uh, consolidated them to into a shop that has been well known. It's kind of a historic shop here in Salt Lake called House of Cards. Um, he, uh, he ran that shop from 1995 to 2018. So for, so for 23 years, um, and the reason that he had to close it in, t- in 2018 is because he had a major health scare that for- forced him to close it sooner than he wanted to. Um, he and I worked together for, uh, well, like I said, over six, almost seven years. He's a husband, a father of five, a man who I would tell you, I think has his priorities straight and is just a, a good man and somebody who I look up to a lot. He's an avid sports card collector, uh, buys and sells and loves trading with people and has just recently been, um, been inserted into the, the Instagram community. His name on there is when it was a hobby. It's the same name that he's had on eBay for the last, I don't know, 20 years. He sold, I think he sold over a hundred thousand items. He's had tremendous success there. And I uh, want to introduce you to my friend, Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I consider it to be a great honor uh, to be on uh, your podcast, talking with you. I appreciate the kind words, and um, it, just the introduction alone brought back a lot of uh, good memories, a lot of good times, and um, just a, a lot of good memories of you and I uh, working together, um, learning and growing together, and it's a pleasure to be here, and look, looking forward to spending a few minutes here with you tonight. Well, you you know this already, but I'm the lucky one here tonight. Um, you know, we... We, we did, we worked together for years. We had, you know, we just had a lot of good times and a lot of fun memories. I don't think that's what the, the nature of this show will be about. We won't just be talking about those things. Hopefully we get to talk about a couple of them. Right. But what I'd like to start by asking you about today is, you know, that, that uh, little piece of the intro that I shared uh, where you went from owning one shop to four. Te- tell me or tell, tell all of us what it was like buying a card shop back in 1995, how you ended up with four and then one, and, and just tell us a little bit about that history. Right. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was an interesting um, story. Like um, like most people, most of your listeners, um, you know, I've been opening, you know, packs of cards probably since I was walking. Um, I remember um, vividly opening packs of 1977 football, Tops football. Um 
and 78 tops football 79 um anyway so it's just kind of uh, been in, in my blood um forever and so you know like you said when i was 26 um i was uh in business um and i just i just had the itch i just thought you know i i, I want to own a card shop it's something i've always wanted to do and you know i'm just going to go for it um being 26 helped because i was young and uh dumb and so um uh anyway back in 95 for those of you that were around in 95 most of our collectors maybe weren't um you know the internet was just getting started and so it wasn't like i could just go and google um card shops for sale or whatever else in, in fact uh, what I did was I went to um, the business opportunity section of the newspaper, believe it or not, and uh, looked in there. And sure enough, there was, you know, a card shop for sale. Um, it was fairly close to my house. And um, so I went and visited um, with the gentleman um, who was selling it. And of course, I walked in and just as, you know, with any shop, you just kind of get the fever, right? just the smell of cardboard. And um, so he and I ended up coming to terms and I bought his store. And um, the interesting thing about that was uh, about a week later, I got a phone call um, from another store owner um, in the Valley, in the Salt Lake Valley that said, hey, I understand you were, uh, you bought a card shop. Are you still buying card shops? And you know, so one thing led to another and I bought their card store. And, um, you know, long story short, at, long story short, Adam is, I wish uh, I would have done a little bit more research and called <laughs> all of the um, store owners to see who was selling. Because what I didn't know in 1995 in the Salt Valley was that all of the card stores were for sale for whatever reason. Um, and so I ended up buying four. Um, the one thing I learned early on was that uh, the customer base was pretty much the same and it was probably wise to consolidate them in one. Um, one interesting tidbit I, I think you'll get a kick out of Adam is um, when I bought the first um, card shop, uh, the manager of the store, his name was Mitch Pixton. And uh, again, being young, uh, this is something I wanted to do with my brothers. Um, we ended up letting Mitch go. Uh, he was the manager of the store. And we thought, well, you know, we're going to do this as a family thing. And, you know, Mitch, you know, I'm going to let you go. Um, it didn't take him long to get another job uh, across the street at the store that I bought next. <laughs> and so <laughs> I ended up letting him go again. And um, I felt bad. I, I, I felt terrible. But um, the the fourth and final store, House of Cards, which we consolidated him on, it was interesting. You know, when, when he saw us walk in, he was the manager of that store. And I he saw us walk in, and I think he thought, oh, the, you know, the writing's on the wall. Um, <laughs> you know, who can, who can be fired, you know, by the same guy, you know, for the same reason, four times in a month. And, um, but the neat thing about that 
a story about Mitch is um, uh, I got smart uh, over time and I kept him on as our manager and he stayed with us for the entire 23 years that we were open. Even though we let him go, um, he could have definitely uh, held a grudge, told us where to go, whatnot, but he, he stuck with us. We stuck with him. He was my manager for 23 years and he was amazing. And House of Cards is uh, just as much uh, Mitch Pixton as it is Jeff. I think you'll agree with that. And uh, you know, if if I can if I can interject, yeah. so I I obviously got to work with you and with Mitch, right. and you know Mitch was um, Mitch is the sort of person who who knew my mom's name, who knew my sister's name, right. who actually like really cared about the customer. And it's really easy, I think, in business to sometimes forget that that the customer is the one that enables you to do the things that you're doing. Um, my, my my respect for Mitch is immense. I'd love to connect with him again. Actually, to be honest with you, it's been years since I talked to him, but uh, but he was a, he was a great manager for you. Anyway, we talked enough about Mitch, right. but that's you know that's that's an awesome that's an awesome sort of introduction to to how House of Cards came to be and. And so, so House of Cards was the last of the four. Was that did you did you purchase that shop in 1995? And was that from Steve Mitchell? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And and that's where that's where we met. And that's where I you know that's where I got to know you know not only you but your brother and Mitch and and uh, and it wasn't wasn't until about four years later when when I started work, working for you and and we'll get to that. But as you as you started to um, as you started to consolidate these shops and you realize that, you know, all these, these owners wanted to sell back in 1995, if you look back, can you, is there anything that you can put your finger on as to why each of them was selling at that point in time? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, the, the, the reason was probably the same as the reason why I, uh, consolidated them is, um, everybody realized that the customer base was the same. You know, as you know, Adam, I mean, uh, card collectors um, are a very unique um, brand. Um, they're, they're, they're my people. And um, they're uh, kind of few and far between. And so in the, in the Salt Lake Valley at the time, in the mid-90s, um, there, there just wasn't room for, uh, you know, five card shops within what eight mile radius i mean right. you remember right. the first one we bought and the second one we bought all-star card they, they were right across the street from one another it's amazing and then the other one you know press box you just drive down and, and that's the way you know it used to be i wish it was still that way but you know where, where there were you know card shops everywhere but it was kind of the beginning of the consolidation of of card stores and that's, so that's that's awesome because you know we know how this story ends we know that this that the shop was open for for 23 years mm -hmm. after that and so where where so many closed you and house of cards i should say we you know we were successful for a long time and, and understanding a little bit about why that that might um why that might have happened will, will be interesting as we go along here but i think the next thing that i really that i want to understand from you is um Tell me, tell me more. And once you, once you got, you know, once you figured out that House of Cards was the shop to, to move forward. House of Cards 
um, from my perspective, had some things that were really different about it. And the first thing that, that kind of comes to my mind is the bid board. Um, the bid board was, um, and we don't, we don't need to take, you know, talk too long about everything that made house of cards, house of cards, but why don't you, why don't you tell us, uh, you know, in, in, in a, a minute or so, what, what was special about house of cards to you, including the bid board? Right. Well, I, I think the, the bid board, you know, since you mentioned that I'll, you know, touch on that for a second was basically, um, eBay live before eBay came around. It was the opportunity yeah. for customers to come in and put their cards on the wall on a bid board tag and the other customers would come in and and bid on them, um, you know, eBay style. And, um, you know, when the bell rang um, Saturday at one o'clock or Wednesday at seven o'clock, you know, high bidder won. And it was just a it was a very fun way for people to buy and sell sports cards if you can imagine an ebay live and um yeah. I, you can probably remember you know as i do um you know we had a pretty good sized store and there was still uh it, i mean really no place to stand <laughs> and really no place to be and it was elbow people were elbowing people you know trying to get in there for the last minute uh, bid. so i i think the um, the bid board um, had a lot to do with it. Um, I, I think uh, the di dynamic um, that you know that I brought, um, you know, I was a little bit different than you know some of the um, other owners. I was young, <laughs> and you know, like I said before, uh, most of the other owners at the time, as you recall, they were you know quite a bit older, and so it was mm -hmm. kind of a new generation, um, new blood. And a lot of it was um, my desire to make it su succeed. I remember, you know, one guy who you know very well, who I won't mention his name, you know, came up to me um, because one of the one of the first things I did was I decided that we were going to be closed on Sunday. And I remember him coming up to me and said, you know, you're too young, you don't know what you're doing. It's obvious because you're closing on Sunday, you're giving up one day's worth of sales, you will not succeed, you will fail. And I, I'll always remember that, and it gave me a ton of motivation to succeed. And um, I wanted to succeed anyway, but I'm grateful for, for that individual for giving me just that little extra, um, that little extra motivation uh, to make House of Cards successful. That's a wonderful story. Um, I think I know who you're talking about, um, as you said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that that that's that's a great answer. Uh, and as you talk about the bid board, I think that's that's awesome too. I I don't think I don't think people can understand like how impossible it would have been to social distance in uh, House of Cards from 1995 to 2018. Impossible. There were there were literally Saturdays where we had 30 people in a store that was, I don't know. I mean, it was like you said, it was a pretty big shop, but it was it was what like. I mean, I don't know. It was was it was it four hundred square feet, five hundred square feet? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't right. A uh, standing room. It was it was bigger than that. But if if you just yeah, if, standing room. Yeah, if a you just room. talk about you know place where people could stand and bid, you know, you are talking about four hundred square feet or less, and it was it was crazy, and it was so much fun. 
Um, it, 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 was, it wasn't it always was, fun. Most people had fun. You know, sometimes people decided they, you know, would rather, you know, fight over a card, you know, than, um, than not. But um, most people were very cordial and um, it made it very enjoyable. But uh, every once in a while, that was, there was that one card that was uh, worth a well-placed elbow. There was there were elbows. There were um, there were different strategies as to how to win. It's funny because, you know, the only thing you had to do to win an auction. It's not like we take eBay for granted because you can put in a bid that then that then eBay auto bids for you, right? right. Like if if you want really want a card and it's at ten dollars, but you're willing to pay a hundred, you just put a hundred in in the last second and you're fine. Because if if the if the person before you only bids eleven dollars, you're only going to pay eleven fifty. But a house of cards, when you're bidding on paper on a little bid board tag, you couldn't do that. And so I remember when I won my Jordan rookie that that you remember. Yep. Um, uh, I remember when I did that, there was somebody else in the shop who really wanted it. And I waited until 1259 and 40 <laughs> seconds. And I, just, I wrote down my number 1728. Of course, I still remember my bid board number yep. and, you know, bid the $27 and 50 cents or whatever it was that I, that I needed to, to pay, to win my Jordan BGS 1.5. Yep. I grabbed that tag off the wall, walked up to the t- counter, paid for it and couldn't have been any happier. But I remember I remember the moments where people were throwing elbows. We remember there were fights, yeah. you know, there were yeah. real arguments. There were, there were some moments where it was like, man, like, I don't know if it's even safe to be here. And, <laughs> and, and honestly, like, I love those memories. I love yeah. them. I want to go back and have a bid board experience again. It was incredible. It, it was fun. It, it was so much fun. You know, I, I, sometimes I felt sorry for the little kids. We wanted to, you know, bring more kids into the hobby and it was just interesting seeing, you know, grown men, you know, kind of literally push a teenager aside, you know, to get the last bid. But you remember, yeah, you know, people, um, yeah, I guess the rule was you just had to have part of your number on the card and then you could finish. <laughs> well, what wasn't that the rule? And so th- th- there was always a yes. debate of if they if they had ink on the paper yet or if it was after the bell or you know <laughs> and I always had to be the one you had to be the one on occasion to go out and just kind of be the moderator. And you know, sometimes we had to remind people that, you know, th- these are sports cards. You know, let, let's let, let's make this fun. But um, you know, the, the bid board definitely carried, you know, House of Cards for for many years. And I, I still have people that come up to me at shows um, w- when I run into them um, at uh, different card shops uh, begging me to, to bring back the card shop. You know, they're saying, you know, when are you going to open the store again? When are we going to do the bid board? We've got to have the bid board. Um, it, I, it's just, I mean, obviously easy for me to say because, um, you know, I was the owner, but I, I, I think you would agree. I think most people would agree. Legendary status. Um, oh, the, dude. The bid board reached in the Salt Lake Valley. Even uh, phone bids. Remember that? Um, the colonel from Ohio would call in. Yep. And, you yep. know, want to place bids. We'd get phone bids. and went, it was Incredible. Like you said, we could talk about it for, you know, forever. But um, your, your, your time is precious. We, well, you're, yeah. We really could, um, and I'm tempted to, but we're gonna we're gonna move on. So so you know besides besides the bid board, tell me what you loved about owning a shop. Oh man, well, 
Obviously, the customers, you know, are are the first thing that, that come to mind. Um, I, I was surprised, you know, even though I was young, I, I had owned some other businesses and, um, you know, concurrently owned businesses while, you know, I own the card shop. And th th there's really nothing to compare um, with the camaraderie that exists w within um, card collectors in a card community and in a card store. Um, like you said, Mitch knew, you know, your mom's name and your sister's name. And um, d I did too, by the way. So I, I won't say I'm on here, but um, I, I could tell you. But anyway, um, it, it was amazing to me how quickly uh, customers became friends. And, um, you know, weddings were um, something that were attended by, you know, a lot of customers. I mean, if one of customers was getting married or, you know, having a life event, a child, you know, whatever the case may be, I mean, it was it was a big deal to the, you know, card community. So um, number one, without a doubt, um, you know, the benefit, um, the beauty of owning a card store is definitely the, the camaraderie with the with the customers and the friendships that you make. I, I made mention to uh, the good Colonel um, that lives in Ohio. Um, you know, he still sends Christmas cards and um, he still calls. And when he comes into town, you know, we go out to dinner. Um, you know, that's just one example of many. Um, also, um, employees. Um, I remember, you know, each and every employee um, that I had, you know, starting with Mitch. Um, and then you were actually the second um, employee that I hired. Uh, and then, of course, you remember Ryan. Uh, you remember mm -hmm. Chad. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, there was Matt. You remember Kevin Vaught, who was outstanding. Um, we need to have an episode on Jubal. Um, but <laughs> the... the um, employees, if I left somebody out, Adam, please, you know, throw their name out there. I, nope. I don't want you to make anybody feel bad, but um, it was it was very rewarding for me um, to see employees who most of them started at, you know, the legal age at, at 15. And I think I might even hired somebody younger than that. I might even, you know, get arrested after this, but um, that we, you know, Jubal started when he was young. I, you know, you were what, 15 younger. I was six, 16. I was 16. Okay. I was just 16. So yeah. anyway, you know, Chad was young. Ryan was young and it was fun, um, just to be, you know, somewhat of a mentor, um, you know, to these young men. And as I look at, you know, you and the success that you've had, um, in life, um, you know, with your career, most importantly, with your family, um, you know, I can say the same thing, you know, about Chad and, um, you know, Kevin and Ryan and, um, you know, Mitch never got married. I, I think he was just married to his sports cards. So anyway, but <laughs> being, being a mentor was, um, you know, very rewarding to me. And, you know, just in a, as an example of that, um, I, I take great pride in, you know, seeing your success on uh, Instagram and seeing that people, you know, look up to you 
um, for knowledge and for wisdom and whatnot. And then I think back, you know, to the 15, 16, 17 year old uh, young man and, you know, just, you know, who you were then, you know, to who you become and, you know, to think that I might have had just a very small part, you know, of helping people, you know, kind of navigate, you know, some of those decisions, going to college, for example, getting an education, um, choosing marriage wisely, so forth, um, you know, very rewarding. Um, and so obviously the, 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 the people, I'll, I'll, I'll just start with that. And if you want to follow that up with, with questions, but you, you, you cannot um, take the, the people out of it and have it be um, worth anything at all. You, you mentioned weddings. Um, I remember, I remember giving talks in church and having customers come to those talks. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, I remember my wedding. Uh, I had multiple customers from house of cards there. Um, you remember Paul, the guy who was the usher at the jazz games, uh, or or not usher, but the concessions guy at the jazz games. Um, you remember, um, obviously you remember Jacques bid board number one, Jacques, And, uh, you know, we could talk about, we could talk about customers who our listeners don't know, you know, from Adam all day long, but like there were real relationships and people who, you know, I, I still, I'll bump into somebody either online or whatever. And they'll be like, oh yeah, house of cards, the bid board. And then, and they'll see the 27 guy and they don't connect the 27 guy to, to the little kid who worked <laughs> at, at, at the card shop. That's and right. so I'm going to actually skip a couple of questions right now and ask you something that's kind of a, a selfish question to ask. But I think, you know, if you take a second on it, what do you remember about 16-year-old Adam? Does, does, anything, does anything kind of come to your mind? Um, yeah, there, there is. I, you know, you probably remember I was very picky, you know, in who I would hire. Um, you know, we only had what, a handful in 23 years. We only had a handful of employees. I was very picky. Like, like six. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I I didn't ever um, accept any resumes. Um, I did not um, accept, you know, people who came in and said, hey, you know, I, I want to work here. What I did is I watched uh, customers and um, paid attention to customers. And, you know, so I, so I watched, you know, you, um, and you, you probably remember after you were hired, you know, you and I both keeping an eye on Jubal, you, you probably remember that and um, yeah. asking his parents questions. And so anyway, you know, I, I was, you know, very, um, uh, interested, you know, in you. And so, yeah, I, I remember a lot and. The, the, the one thing I remember is, um, you know, you're very mature for your age um, and you're very smart, you know, for your age. You know, the fact, you know, that you you stood up there and, you know, bid on a Jordan rookie card, um, you know, before you had your driver's license, told me mm-hmm. everything, you know, I needed to know about um, Adam. And, you, you know, so and then as you move forward a couple of years, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but you came to me um, with a goal. And you said, Jeff, I have a goal. I want to save up X amount of dollars. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, let, let's do it. And um, you you hit that, you hit that goal. And I was very impressed. You're very goal oriented. And when you put your mind to something, 
um, I, I considered it done. And I think you considered it done. And do you remember what I was, do you remember what I was saving the money for? Yeah. You're saving it for your mission. That's right. And, um, I'm, I'm impressed. You remember. Yeah. And, uh, well, I remember, um, you know, I had, I mean, how many 5,000 count boxes did I donate to the cause? Do you remember that? I, oh, I had, I, I must've had what, 50, maybe, maybe, maybe the, yeah. the, the fish is getting bigger as the, the story goes on, but um, no, you're, it was it was fifty. It was two hundred. You so let me let me tell the story real quick. Yeah, we we got an, a giant collection, and I still remember who the I still remember who the customer was. Yeah. And the collection included sealed wax, some of the junk junk wax era stuff, yeah. and and boxes that we needed to go through. And I remember Jeff. My memory with some of these things is crazy. I remember finding a Luke Longley nineteen ninety eight Skybox Rubies card, and we sold it for fifty one dollars, <laughs> and we thought we were geniuses. Um, I remember finding a Dirk Nowitzki finite rookie. Yeah. I rem- I just remember all of those things, but I went through it one, with one pass and said, "Look, this is the good stuff that we can sell on eBay. This is the good stuff we can sell on the on the bid board." And then when this with with all the stuff that was left over, you said, "What do you think we should do with that?" And I said, "I have no idea, man." And you're like, "Do you want it?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, well, of course, because it has a lot of value." You know, mm-hmm. I didn't take everything out of there. I took out the stuff that was really easy to sell, but there's still a lot of value. And you said, "Take it." It's yours. If we can get if we can get it to your house today, it's yours. Yeah. And I took it home, and I, dude, I, yeah, that 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 was a part of helping save for my mission. Yeah. And um, I'm so glad you remember. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. That was yeah. That was that was really cool. I remember you you did something for each of your brothers um, at, at d- different points, and you probably don't want me to talk about this, but you did something for each of them that was super kind and helped them in some way, you know, financially or or some other way. And I remember at that moment, it was kind of like a Jeff's doing this for me because he because he cares about me, you know, kind of yeah. like you would care about his brother. And so. That's yeah, dude. We're getting all we're getting too sappy, too emotional here. But like that was um, that was an awesome right. Thing well, the, the truth of the matter is, I mean, th- it goes back to what we talked about before with employees. Is you know, w- w- once you became an employee, you you became family. You know, you you were, you know, brother, and um, you know, I I tried to treat you like that, but. Um, you know, the, the, the key for me is, um, and you, you'll probably remember this is, um, I, I didn't ever, um, give you anything. You, you weren't somebody who were, who was looking for a handout, you know, but I, you know, I gave you opportunity that, you know, 95 out of a hundred kids, you know, wouldn't have taken advantage of. They would have said too much work, mm-hmm. you know it's going to take too much time. You know, I'm not going to do it, but you know, you, you looked at it, you saw the opportunity. Um, and I, I, I was amazed. I remember the day we took it over to your house, um, and where your mom made us put them outside. (laughs) And then I remember months later going back and seeing there were only like three boxes left. I mean, you had just gone through and, and, and sold them. But it, it just goes back to the, to the kind of individual, you know, I saw in you as a young man and that you, you continued to be as you, as you grew, um, in, in, into manhood. So great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Like I said, not to get sappy, but that was an awesome answer and super meaningful to me. Um, 
Let me ask you this. What, after after uh, this COVID-19 thing, we, we owe each other a hug. <laughs> it's so, a deal. Okay. Um, okay, so let's let's shift gears a little bit um, from thinking about all the positive things. What what didn't you like about owning a card shop? What was hard? Oh, man. Um, what was hard? Yeah, that, that that's a... That's a good question. Um, well, it, the, the, there were different um, difficulties at different stages, you know. So, so we we'd almost have to break it down um, in, into into stages. Um, let, let me try to think of some you know generalities that that would work, you know, through the entire twenty three years. Because you know, like you said in your intro, you know, twenty three years in the card business is a long time. And a yep. lot of things happened, you know, in the card business between 95 and, you know, 2018. Um, you know, one of the challenges um, I, I think that made it very difficult for us um, was how uh, pricing worked. And, um, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I don't know if you want me to go into more detail, um, but it, it, it was difficult um, how people interpreted um, the Beckett magazine, how mm. they used the price guide, um, how the price guide um, even worked. <laughs> um, that, that, that was very, you know, that made it very difficult because I think it really shortchanged the value of sports cards and um, made it difficult. I remember the days um, pre uh, price guide. I don't know if you remember that. I, I think the Beckett was around as long as you are. I remember the days the... when you walked into a store and there were obviously there was no internet and there was no price guide. And so it was basically what the store owner was willing to sell it for and what the customer was willing to pay for it. And, you know, that that's the way it should be. Now, obviously having a, you know, a, a price guide um, can be helpful. Um, I, I can see some value in that, helping people kind of understand, you know, okay, it's not worth a million like the seller thinks. It's not worth 10 like the buyer thinks. It's this. But um, I, I just think, um, you know, Beckett had a great opportunity um, to do great things in the hobby and to help the hobby really go to the next level and they they swung and missed they whiffed <laughs> and um just kind of i in my opinion did a lot more damage than good that's super interesting i think what's interesting about your your comment um regarding how something should be priced that's actually where we live today right like now the only thing that matters is what somebody's willing to sell for and what somebody's willing to pay for it and I haven't looked at a Beckett or like or or a price guide of any sorts, um, unless you count historical auctions. A price guide. Right. I haven't looked at anything like that in. I mean, I have to like in fifteen years, like in such a long right. time. And I think is as, as I think about some of the success that I've had in collecting, um, and and in buying and selling and that sort of thing. It's it's with a very basic understanding that it does not actually matter what somebody else tells you something is worth. The only thing that matters is what 
different people are willing to pay. And if you can pay less for it than somebody else is willing to pay, or if you can, you know, sell it to the right person, those are the things that actually matter um, in, when transacting. And that's where we are now. And that's what's so great. But as we do that, um, it's becoming more and more challenging because, you know, those historical prices that I referenced, some of that is, is very gamed at this point. You know, some of it's very, there's a lot of manipulation and we've talked a lot about that on the show. Right. Um, but, but the thing that just has to hold true is if you're a collector and you want a card, you have to have your price and you have to figure out what that is. And um, if you hold to that, somebody's willing to pay more then great. Then yeah. you don't get it. But, um, but, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the beginning and end of it now. Exactly. I think that's the way it should be. And I'm glad that that's the way it is because, you know, in the, in the mid-90s getting into 2000, I mean, nobody would um, finalize a transaction without, you know, looking at the Beckett first. And, you know, it, it, it didn't make sense because th there's a lot of cards out there in the hobby. There, there were a lot of cards out there in the hobby. Um, that should have been worth a lot more um, than you know Beckett claimed they were. Um, yeah. Um, There's a lot of factors that they didn't take into consideration, and yeah, I think it turned a lot of people away. And um, you know, we, we could also talk about um, exclusivity as being a, a challenge um, in the hobby. Um, that that that's kind of been a hard thing to navigate over the years is um you know when certain companies get exclusives to um certain sports and you know different things like that um but you know good good stores um good card shops will be able to you know navigate you know any any of those challenges because it's all about people and if you tr well, treat I people right and um you know you're kind and um you're honest, then you will succeed uh, regardless of um, what, what's going on around you. When Panini took over in 2010, I remember um, by that point, I was not working at the card shop anymore. I had left, I think, about three years before that. Do, 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 and... do you remember real quick, Adam, how much money I tried to throw at you to get you to stay? Do you remember that day? Well, when I was just like, you know, 20,000 a year, 24,000, 30,000 a year. I, I can't remember what I got up to, but it was crazy money that I probably couldn't even afford. But, you know, you, you were you, you were destined to, to make real big boy money. And uh, well, so I give you credit for that. So you're you're kind. You're you're super kind. Um, uh, as I as I think back to to, to 2010, um, when Panini took over, um, I remember wondering like, is this the end of house of cards? And we lasted for another eight years. Well, I should say you lasted cause I was, I was no longer working there, but, but you lasted for another eight years and, and had tremendous success. Yeah. Um, so there's, I've got a hundred other questions to ask you, but as I could tell from, you know, kind of our first couple of questions, I knew what we weren't going to make, make it through all of them. And I, now I'm like analyzing which ones do we hit now and which ones do we hit later? Because we're clearly, we're clearly going to have to do another show. I don't even, I don't, I don't know, or I don't know if the, the listeners love the back and forth, but I would talk to you all day and all night about, about the history, but also there's so there's there's some specific things that I want to ask you, and I'm gonna to have to save some of those for next time. But okay. This time, 
I want to ask you some some specific rapid fire things, and then um, I also want to ask you about a specific a, a, spe- a couple specific eras. So, rapid fire. Okay. Name two or three of the greatest pulls in House of Cards history. Okay. Yeah. Great question. Um, upper deck um, holographics. Uh, do you remember some of our customers called it Hollow Gur FX? I don't. I still call it that because Mitch <laughs> called it that. So I don't know why they decided to put the G and the R together, but the F and the X separate. But anyway, <laughs> Upper Deck Holographics, or as we like to say, Upper Deck Hollow Gur FX. Um, Jordan uh, Logo Man Shoe Card Autograph. You remember that? I so, not only remember it, but I remember who pulled exactly. it. Exactly. That that was um, that was a beauty. Um, there was a Albert Einstein cut signature autograph um, that was a significant pull. Um, Babe Ruth cut signature autograph um, that most people, you know, you hear the stories about the last pack. It's sitting there for two weeks. Nobody opens it. But you probably remember that story. Um, when Gail came in and, you know, we convinced him to um, open it and he, you know, pulls a Babe Ruth cut autograph. But um, you remember, you know, one of the things about um, House of Cards um, would be, I think what they call it today are Razzes. We didn't call it Raz. We call it something else where... Pack Wars. Pack Wars, that's right, where... Um, we five or six people would buy a pack or a box and then we'd open the pack or box and then we'd pick a stat like tallest player, most points per game, you know, heaviest player card number, serial number, whatever. And then whoever yep. was closest to got to choose the best card out of everything that was opened. Yep. Um, and there were several uh, Jordan autographs lost and one um, doing that. Several LeBron autographs won and lost doing that. Uh, Don Mattingly, uh, platinum one of one autograph. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some definitely. Uh, Lou Gehrig um, out of Timeless uh, Treasures. Um, yeah, so anyway, you, you just kind of opened my memory banks to the um, great. Uh, you remember we had the Wall of Fame, right? Where yeah, I... um, we actually took Polaroids of people <laughs> so at, at, it's hard at, to believe we did remember, that i opened in 95 people don't realize that technology hasn't always been around but uh, <laughs> you know people would you know pull a sweet card we'd take a polaroid of them uh wait for it to dry out and then um thumbtack it to the wall of fame Amazing. So anyway, so, so much for rapid fire, but uh... yeah, so much for so much for rapid fire. I want to remind you of one actually, because okay. I'll bet you 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 may not remember this, and it's okay if you don't like because it didn't seem as significant at the time as it does now. Um, there were a couple of Fleer products between '98 and 2000 that came out that were like not super high end, a uh, buck or two a pack, and. Um, and had some really rare inserts in them. And I think one of them, I think the, the set that it came out of was, was called Skybox Thunder. Um, and there was a, a time where, where we were sitting around and doing the pack wars. And this must have been, you know, this must have been like right at the time that I started working there. Like 90, like right, right at the, I started working in mid 99. 
and um, this product would have come out at the at the middle to end of 99 uh, Skybox Thunder and within a matter of about eight packs two of the extremely rare warp tech cards number to 25 came mm. out and if I remember right one was Kobe and one was Garnett and and it was like the, when the first one came out, I was like, wow, we've never even seen one of these before. And then one came out of the very next pack or like, the, you know, five, five or six packs later or whatever it was, the very next round. Right. Um, and and now each of those cards is just huge, just a gigantic, you know, several thousand dollar card. But at the time it was like, yeah, this is probably one we should put on eBay. <laughs> Remember there were eBay cards, That's right. right? Like yeah. this card is really rare. And so we are going to put it on eBay, yeah. um, which, which takes me to my next, uh, my next thought or my next, my next question. Yeah. We're going to stop the rapid fire thing. Cause we've realized it's not even possible. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you remember is you look back to the 96, 90, specifically 97, 98 era where, where you know where serial numbered cards ended up you know as we look back some of the biggest sells of of our of our time in, in the hobby are are cards that came from that era what do you remember about the serial numbered card era um well i remember at first um the the serial numbers were were super high so they, they started serial numbering things but it was serial number of ten thousand you know, or they would serial number them 5,000. And, yeah. but people would still get really excited about, you know, they're like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, there are only 10,000 of these things, you know, and, you know, you know, people got excited about, um, you know, the serial number thing. Um, I also, what, what, one remember? of the thoughts I also had is when people first realized the game that the um, just that the card manufacturers were playing with the serial number, making you think that something was more rare than it was. So you, you know, you'd pull something that was numbered to 25, and you'd think you'd have something super rare, only to find out that there were 17 colors of that yeah. same card, numbered to 25, and numbered to 50, and numbered to 75. So. Um, you know, I have good memories and I also have not so good memories of the, you know, serial number era. I, you know, just, it, it's funny for me how, uh, the card companies, you know, the light bulb went off in their head at some point and said, Hey, you know, we, we can serial number something super low, but still create a ton of cards in it took people a while to, uh, catch on. So kudos to them. Let me define it a little bit, a little bit, um, a little bit more. So the the in baseball and football specifically, Donruss had some very high numbered cards, um, and 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 I remember that too. But in basketball, we didn't we didn't quite see you know we didn't see as much of that. There was there were a few. Um, you know, the first number cards were like the legacies at a showcase and the credentials cards at a four ninety nine uh, at a, at an ex. Yeah. If like my guess here is that you don't actually have any recollection of any huge serial numbered basketball cards from that era. Is that right? Or is there anything that comes into your mind? No, that, that's a true statement. You know, I don't. And in fact, you know, as I, as I look around today, you know, and I see some of those cards that you're talking about, like the um, flare showcase legacy 
Um, yep. You know, at the at the time, you know, I really didn't think it was that that big of a deal, um, and, and don't remember a whole lot of, about it. You know, that that's kind of the the episode of the um, crystal ball. Um, you yeah. know, if you know we would have had a, a crystal ball, what, what our card collections would look like today. But um, but you're absolutely correct. I, you know, my recollection of that is you know very little and its significance you know being very little as well do you remember anything about a john stockton green card um uh, precious metal gems mm -hmm. i do you still own it <laughs> oh man that was the worst that 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 that's a story that I'll that I'll keep for another day. Okay. But but you're 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 right that I did own it. Yes, I did. I did attempt to sell it for my. Uh, it was the first card that I was gonna ever sell on my own on eBay. A guy called me from Australia, and that's what you could do in eBay back in those days. Is you could actually right. get somebody's phone number. And so this guy calls me from Australia, talks oh, me into selling it to him for five hundred dollars. Didn't he kind of hose you? Yeah, he, oh, did. Man. He, he he convinced the 16 year old or no, no, I would have been 16. I would have been uh, 18. Uh, he convinced 18 year old Adam to send the card through the mail without bidding, getting paid. Oh. And uh, so Adam, all the, this the, time the best I've part been telling your listeners how brilliant you are. And, and now you want to end your podcast with, with, with that story. So, well, you know, it was uh, it, I remember. So this, you know, this goes back to you being a mentor. I remember at the time, you know, explaining to you kind of what had happened. And you said, you know, Adam, in life, we learned some lessons. Yep. And that might seem like it was a really expensive lesson, but you will never make that mistake again. That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I take pride in sort of seeing the best in people and having really positive interactions with basically everybody who I, who I deal with in my life. I don't, I don't hang on to the negative. I just, I just deal with people in really positive ways. Um, but I don't ever let that happen. And it's because that, that lesson has really stuck with me in my, in my life. When somebody says to you, just send it to me, you know, we'll deal, we'll, we'll deal with it later. It sounds, sounds like common sense, but in life there's that, that's not how it works. Right. And so, um, that guy did the same thing to like 10 other people that same week. And he had a feedback of, you know, 800 or something. And he, he was suddenly kicked off of eBay, but the John Stockton green number eight of a hundred, uh, is probably today somewhere between, I, I hate, I hate guessing on stuff like this. Cause I feel like it manipulates the market a little bit, but if I had to guess it's between 25 and $35,000. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it was mine. It's the only green that I've ever owned. And, um, right. you know, I, I've got, I've got one, one other question. Um, and, and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here, uh, because I don't want to, I don't want to take any more of your time, but Tell me, this is this is a period when I was on my mission, and so I I wasn't there for this, but I'd love to hear what you remember. Um, you know, we just had this giant sell, this almost two million dollar sell of a LeBron James two thousand three exquisite card. Yeah. What do you remember about two thousand three exquisite? What was that like uh, owning a card shop and having that product come in? You know, that that's a great question, and um, you know, we we could definitely have an episode just about that. But I remember, you know, when the exquisite boxes came out, um, they were, I think they started out between five and $600. And at first I considered not even bringing them in 
because I felt like there's no way in the world any of our customers would pay that much money for a box of cards with basically one pack. And then, you know, I remember when, you know, the LeBron came out, it started to climb a little bit. Um, you, you know, I hate to admit this, but, you know, going back in time, you know, I, I had, you know, dozens of opportunities to pick up that LeBron rookie card, you know, for $1,000, you know, for $1,500. And, you know, my thought at the time, again, this is in 2003, and so you have to take yourself back to the sports card market in 03, is, you know, there is no way I'm going to spend $2,000 on one card. There's no way. It makes no <laughs> sense. Just because it was unprecedented, you know, and kind of like, you know, Soli said, you know, the captain that uh, landed the plane in the in the river, mm-hmm. he landed the airplane in the Hudson. You know, his comment was, you know, everything is unprecedented until it happens. And, you know, obviously him landing a plane in the river was unprecedented because it hadn't happened before. And so it was kind of the same thing with, you know, the, the LeBron and Exquisite. It just happened that Exquisite's first year was LeBron's rookie, right? And, you yeah. know, it, kind of the planets, you know, collided. And the, 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 those were my exact thoughts is there, there is no way. I mean, it, it, anybody's a fool who's going to pay, you know, 2000 or 2500 bucks, you know, 1000 you know, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I, I challenge all your listeners um, who were, you know, around at the time who claimed that they thought differently because that was the thought, you know, that was the thinking. And, you know, um, th- th- there was one kid, I can't remember his name. You, you might remember who he was, but he started picking him up. He started buying these yep. LeBron. You remember that young man? I do. I don't remember his I, name, I, I but, don't um, but, I, but he owned, I think he owned three of them. He was the one guy here in Utah who I knew had right. one and he had one, then he sold it. Then he had one, then he sold it. He had it, I think three different occasions. Right. Yeah. He had a couple. And then I think, you know, just like everybody else, when it got to five grand, he's kind of like, okay, it's peaked. You know, it's, it's time to get out. I've got to get out now. And, um, you know, everybody has that theory because, you know, Adam Hefner, for every LeBron exquisite, there's a Nikolai Skidishvili um, rookie <laughs> card. And for me, you know, it happened to be Al Jefferson, you know, or, or Darren Williams. You know, I, yeah. I, I told myself that I was never going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate, you know, after the whole LeBron thing, whatever else. But I thought, you know what? You know, I think I'm going to speculate. I think, you know, D. Will, I think he's going to tear it up. You know, he's he's the next, you know, big thing. And so that just goes to show, you know, you, you can, I mean, you, you just can't guess. You know, you just have to try your hardest, you know, put all your knowledge to the test, try your best, and, you know, just hope. And I think that's what makes, you know, this hobby so beautiful is, you know, there's no sure thing, you know, it's, it's just all fun. And you're, if, if you hit great, but if not have fun, just enjoy the ride. Um, and you know, you'll be better for it. Your perspective is just, is just amazing. Um, it, you're, uh, 
your comment about about there being no sure thing. You know, we're we're here in July of 2020, and people are paying numbers for Zion Williamson that you know basically project that he will be the next LeBron James. That's right. And he might be. Yep. You know, he might be. There's there's a real chance of that. Right. Um, but in 2014. Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be the best rookie since LeBron James. Right. And he is, he's not been uh, to say the least. That's right. Um, you know, and th- there, there are, there are more instances of that than, than, than we'd care to admit. Like people are, people are probably saying right now, no, Zion is, is more than Andrew Wiggins was Adam, but no, really like go back and look like Andrew Wiggins was going to be one of the greats of all time. That's uh, right. The, I remember hearing that his floor his the very worst he could be would be Paul George. Right. And at, th- at this point, if Andrew Wiggins turns into Paul George, that will be an absolutely huge success. Story. That's right. But he's it's it's unlikely. And Paul George is not LeBron James, right? So um, anyway, your your perspective is fantastic, and and you know you've given me over an hour of your time at this point, and I'm just so grateful. Like I like I said earlier, I'm hopeful that you'll be willing to come back again because as somebody who has the perspective that you have and the the history in the hobby, I just think it's valuable. I think it's valuable to our listeners. People sometimes ask me questions and and, and act like I've been around for a long time and uh, and you know, obviously I think I know a thing or two, but but your perspective and having, you know, owned the shop for as long as you did and remembering each of these eras is so valuable. I want to hear more of the funny stories. I want to hear more of the, uh, you know, m- more of, of all of that. And so I'll, I'll definitely, if you'll come back again, I'll have you, have you again, but just want to, just want to thank you for coming on today. Um, do you have any, any parting thoughts before we, before we let sure. you go? You know, Adam, I, I appreciate your time tonight. It's been a, a total blast, uh, for me to get on and, and chat with you. Um, I, I will come back on, um, if you'll have me, um, but I think we need to set the bar of, of how many people actually listen to our conversation. Do you think 10 people will listen to us go back and forth? So, I mean, <laughs> how many people do you think are going to listen to this? So now Millions. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you, you, you're, you're the Andrew Wiggins of your podcast. So, but um, no, I, 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 I will come back um, anytime just um, you know, let me know when you have some time, we'll do it again. We, we definitely need to hit on some of the funny moments. Um, you know, you, your listeners, you know, need to know, um, so some of the funniest things that have, have, have happened, um, happened at house of cards and they need to know that. Um, also just a parting shot. Um, I started putting together my, uh, uh, t- top 100, um, like the real 27 guys top 100, which is super impressive, by the way. Um, I can't wait, you know, to see the last 25. But um, when I had to insert uh, my Greg Jeffries um, 1990 score second year <laughs> as um, my 91st best card, I decided it probably wasn't a great idea to continue on. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. Let's definitely do it again. And um, let's uh, stay in touch. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I just, again, want to thank Jeff for coming on today. Uh, There are a number of other topics that I want to hit. I'm going to try to get back to the once a week thing. 
Um, but I just want to thank everybody for listening. Again, if you if you like what you hear, definitely give give the show a rating. Uh, you know, give, leave us some feedback. Share the share the the podcast. Um, but uh, guys, this is an unprecedented time in the hobby. It is so much fun. It's still the greatest hobby in the world. You can let it get overwhelming sometimes, and 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 it can be bad. But um, you know, take take some notes uh, from from the things that you heard today from this lesson. You got two guys here who've been in the hobby for you know combined over 50 years, um, and probably you know maybe closer to 60 years. Uh, yes, over 60 years. So um, uh, hope hope we left you with some things that are interesting and fun. And uh, until next time, happy collecting. Thank you.